Well, good morning again. Uh, I am Pastor Michael, for anyone who maybe doesn't know that. One of the associate pastors here at Reachway. I want to make one quick announcement, and that is a reminder that tonight at 5 p.m. is our neighborhood dinner downstairs. Uh, Hopefully we can see each and every one of you there. Uh, We'd love to have uh, some good food and some good fellowship together. As to that as well, we do also need to set some tables up. So if anyone has any time after service and can go downstairs and help get the table set up um, for tonight, we would really, really appreciate it. Uh, Okay, so this is week three uh, of our Church in the Round series. What that means is is probably what most of you probably already heard it already, but I'll go ahead and go over it again real quick. But it's basically, it's kind of a hybrid between sermon and Bible study. I actually think what more is more of more of just a Bible study teaching kind of thing, and almost like an introduction to small groups. Uh, we encourage each and every one of you to change up your seats and sit with different people each week so you get to know each other. Um, we are kind of a small congregation, but to that effect, we still don't really spend enough time together, perhaps, to get to know each other on a deeper level like we would really want to. We all have busy lives, and that's kind of the goal for this series. Plus, we're going through the whole book of Mark, hoping that that one. One <coughs> primary and foundational gospel can kind of really speak into our lives. We encourage you to join in, follow along in scripture. There's Bibles uh, on the tables there. And on the question sheet, there are page numbers. Um, I didn't grab one of those. I made sure we left them all out there. But there are page numbers if you want to follow along. <coughs> For brevity's sake, I'm not going to read the entire scripture. Um, in a, in a normal Bible study, that would be my habit. I would read all of the scripture that we're going to go over and then discuss and break it down. But So I just want to kind of focus in, though, um, on certain aspects of the scripture. I may not even read the entire scripture. I just want to read the bits and pieces. And we've got to be careful in doing this because we never want to take any scripture out of context. I'm not really trying to take it out of context. I'm just trying to highlight the main points here because we're looking at this scripture because there's a lot going on here. There really is. I mean... There's this whole, you know, one of the questions that I've encountered, a lot of people who I know of Christians, it talks about, you know, the, the only sin that can't be forgiven is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And, and there's so many questions around that. And you could have a whole sermon on that topic alone from this set. But I want to focus on this from the standpoint of what is it really kind of saying to us about what it means to follow Jesus? Is it giving us any kind of warnings or signs about what some of the implications there might be in following Jesus? And is it also revealing some perhaps some tensions that we might have? You know, uh, non-believers, I think I've, I've seen a few non-believers that basically kind of have an idea, uh, this idea that Christians, we've got it easy. We've got a great life. Well, what they don't understand is, is we go through the same troubles they do, but our hope and trust and our faith is in God. And so it isn't as visible that we're going through hard times to, as it is to them. But we do have tensions. So the first part is, what is it kind of telling us about following Jesus? So I'm going to kind of focus in on the, um, some of these scriptures here, and I've got them here. <coughs> and like I said, the page numbers are on your sheet if you want to follow along. So the first thing it tells us is that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all about what he was doing, many people came to him. And it lists all these places in these regions. So I mean, you can imagine, this is a lot of people coming from far and wide because of what they heard he was doing, i.e. what the miracles he was doing, the healing, driving out demons. And also because of the crowd, 
he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed so many, with the, with the, those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. So again, we're seeing one kind of follower here. We're seeing kind of people who are following Jesus, kind of from a mindset of worldly mindset of, of what is it Jesus can do? What can Jesus do for me today? What, can he heal this? Can he, can, he, can he do this miracle? A little further down, um, we're underneath the part where it says Jesus appoints the 12, we see another type of follower. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, and here's the part to pay attention to, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Okay, so we're seeing another type of follower here. We're seeing a follower here where Jesus, among all of the followers, is calling certain ones to him. They're responding to the call and coming. And then he is, a, he is basically having them be with him. And this is a lot more involved than just following him around, watching him perform miracles and heal the sick. <clears throat> the next part we want to look at is... is is it giving us any implications uh, of what it means to follow Jesus? And is it revealing any of the potential tensions we might encounter? So for that, I want to go down to the section where it talks about Jesus accused by his family and the, by the teachers of the law. So it tells us that Jesus entered a house, and again, a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Well, right off the bat right there, that tells us something. You know, in, in service to God, sometimes sacrifices are needing to be made. You know, sometimes we get so wrapped up in service that we might miss a meal here and there. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Okay, we read that. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. But as I was praying about this and thinking about this, I thought, you know, this isn't just... When they're saying he is out of his mind, what else could they be saying? He's nuts. He's, he's stupid. How many of us have had that? Have any of us experienced that? You know, there's, there's, this, there's these tensions there where we've got people who are going to perhaps insult us, think less of us because of our belief. I'm a programmer. I work with a lot of guys and a couple of girls, gals, who are very logical. I can guarantee you 90%, if not higher, of the people I work with are non-believers. I mean, I've heard it made, I've heard a comment, actually probably two or three different times from different people, well, I don't believe in no fairy tale elf up in the sky who cares about my life. You know, and, and there's an implication there, almost kind of an insinuation that maybe perhaps I'm not as intelligent because I do believe that. I sometimes think sometimes those comments are made in my vicinity loud enough to sort of challenge me or provoke me. A little bit further down, it says, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. This is another part of the scripture I said that you could probably create a whole sermon just on this part here, talking about the wisdom of how a house divided can't stand. A country divided can't stand. You know, you can't fight yourself. You can't have inward fights. Same thing with churches. A church divided can't stand, can't continue. We have to be united. But what else is this implying to us as far as the implications of following Jesus? We might have people making assumptions, presumptions about us. They might be thinking some pretty wild things. And we have to 
live with that and live in that. <coughs> Further down towards the bottom there, it says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And, of course, Jesus responded, and I think most of us are probably pretty familiar with this. He said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around, and he said, Here are my mothers and brothers. I think this is a very key implication for us to take here is the fact that when we're non-believers, we're basically lost in this world. Okay, we were created by God to be his children. We sinned, and therefore we left the family. God pursues us, and if we accept God back into our lives, we basically are being adopted back into the family, meaning I have the Father, the Lord, heaven, in heaven above, God as my Father. You have the same Father. You have the same Father. You have the same Father. Every one of you has the same Father. Therefore, we are family. And this is not, and it's not just words. These, we are genuinely family, and that's part of the, the the potential, or the part of the implications of following Jesus. And that helps us, if we rely on our family. It helps us to deal with some of these tensions. <coughs> Unfortunately, it won't help with the cold. But hey, anyway. So we're talking about these implications, and I want to go ahead and go ahead and before I continue further and go into any more explanation, I want to go ahead and take about ten minute break. There's questions on the on the tables there. You're more than welcome. I tried to make sure I printed off enough this uh, for you so that if you wanted to take notes on them so you could take your notes home, great. If you don't, you're more than willing to share, more than welcome to share those questions with somebody. Um, but we're going to go ahead and take about a 10, I can't see the clock here, hold on. Okay, 10.30. So we'll take about a 10-minute break, um, and we're going to have some discuss, go ahead and discuss amongst yourselves um, those questions there. <clears throat> I have that down there. Um, I'll go ahead and read them real quick. So what does the term follower of Jesus mean to you? As we talked about, Jesus had many following him from far and wide, but what would you consider them followers of Jesus? What tensions have you or someone you know had to deal with because of being a Christian? And then based upon what you see in verses 31 through 34, what do you think the implication Jesus is making here about being followers of his? And I've already touched on a little bit, but go ahead and discuss amongst yourselves.
Okay, I think it's, uh, don't want to interrupt, but I think it's been about the 10 minutes, and uh, <clears throat> I hopefully uh, everyone had some really good discussions. Um, hopefully we dove in pretty deeply there. Um, okay. The part about following Jesus. The scripture definitely illustrates two distinct types of followers. So the question comes is, which one are, you know, are both types actually followers of Jesus? This is a tough one for me. It's a tough one because this is a, uh, following Jesus is a, is a topic that I can talk about for hours and hours. I can get on a soap, I can get on a soapbox. Um, my wife's just making comments, sorry. Um, I, I spent, as, as, as I've shared before, and I don't like bringing it up every time, but I spent 40 years, of, first 40 years of my life as an atheist, and then I finally found Christ. I don't know how many years after I was a, a, a Christian, God moved us to Tennessee. And at first, that was awesome. The, everybody, everybody down there is like a Christian. Like, everybody is. You don't have, it's like complete flip-flop from what it is around here, right? And at first, it was great. But then I started noticing a trend. And the trend was, is a lot of these people were Christians just by upbringing, just by social circumstance, because Grandma wanted them to go to church on Sunday. And that was it. And it, and it really just, it really irked me, if I'm honest. I mean, it did. Because, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about, I mean, if, if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, it's pretty graphic. But I've done some research, and there's a lot, of, a lot of people who study scripture who say that that actually probably isn't portrayed as exactly bad as it was that actually what he endured might have been worse. There's actually written reports that when he was carrying his cross, that people could see his organs because they'd ripped the skin off and it just had that clear sack and that was all that was left holding them together. Jesus did that for my sins. He did that for your sins. So for us to just say, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm saved. I'm a Christ follower. Go to church on Sunday, get my little checkbox for my attendance and go about my life. It irked me. It bothered me. So when I originally first started doing this, I was focused on this, on these two different types of followers. And I was going to be ready to come up here and say, oh, yeah, see, it's obviously the second type. The second type of follower, the one who's willing to go all in and be with him 24-7, 365, that's a true follower. God does what God always does. He speaks. And he reminded me of the fact that when I first started becoming a believer, I was in that first group. It didn't make me any less of a believer. It just made me, I was in a different path of my journey. So really, when it comes down to following Jesus, both of those descriptions are true. Both groups are followers. They really are. You know, we're following Jesus. Jesus is even asked a couple of times, what, what, what must I do to be saved? He doesn't say that you have to, you know, follow him 24-7, 365. He doesn't come right out and say it, but there's other scripture that tells us, though, that we are to be following him. We're supposed to try to grow every day like him, but we each have our own path and our own race to run, and we have to stay in our lane. If we keep looking at everybody else and comparing ourselves to everybody else, we're going to trip and fall. I have my path to take. You have your path to take. You have your path to take. We all have our own path. When the day comes and, and I'm laid to rest, Maybe I'll look like that group from number two. Maybe other people will look and I'll still look like I'm in group one. 
as long as I'm striving every day to grow closer to Christ and to be more like him, I'm a follower and you're a follower. That's really what it boils down to. I really wanted to be up here and say, oh, nope, it's only group two. Oh, well. <laughs> as far as tensions involved, I, th I'm, I would be extremely surprised if none of you have ever encountered any kind of attention in following Christ. Matter of fact, I, as a non-believer before and knowing a lot of non-believers, yeah, we think Christians have it easy because, well, how do we live our life? We often can smile through bad situations. Why? Because we realize this world means nothing. You know, what we do here has an impact, but it's to impact others for God's kingdom man, ultimately, we're going there, and we're going to spend eternity right there with God. So really, by comparison, you know, there's a pastor, I wish I remembered his name, he did a, 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 a demonstration. He had this long rope, super long rope, went all the way off the stage, and he kept yanking a bunch, huh? Francis Channel. Francis, yes, oh my, Francis Channel wreck, you'll watch him. He's pulling this rope and pulling this rope, and it's this long rope, and he goes, okay, I want you to look at this rope. About this much of the tip was taped in red. He goes, that's your life on earth. All the rest of that rope that continues on and on and on, that's your eternity with God. And it really puts it into perspective. It really does. And when you have that perspective and you maintain the attitude of gratitude and you realize that despite what our actions would warrant, God treats us and blesses us despite that, out of his sheer love for us, you start realizing that, yeah, okay, fine. We got bad things going on. I mean, I don't know if my wife's going to care or not, but we just got a bill in the mail. I made a mistake on our taxes in 2017. I owe $6,000 to the IRS. Oh, well, it's due in a month. We'll figure it out. We'll make it work. Doesn't matter. You know, it's not important. We will make it work. But a non-believer now, they might spend the next month at work belly aching about it, griping about it. Everybody's going to know that they've got these problems. As Christians, we don't do that. So they have this perception that we don't have these tensions, but oh, I think you probably all can agree. Living the Christian life is really hard. It really is. Because unfortunately, we are sin sinful and we're broken. Can't wait till the day I've got my perfect body and I don't have sin. I really can't. You know, because it is a struggle. Every time I start thinking I'm getting it right, <laughs> something else is shown to me. And uh, we can't focus on all of that either. We can't focus on all those negatives, though. We have to keep looking back on where God has brought us from. Okay, okay, keep running. Never mind. False alarm. <clears throat> so we're going to have struggles. Jesus even said, in this life, we're going to have troubles. So we have to be, as we talk about here at Bridge Reachway, we have to be resilient. Because as we say, everyone matters. If everyone matters, we have to go all in. And if, and if we're going all in, we have to be resilient. And we normally talk about it in the terms of we have to be resilient because going all in is going to be frustrating. It's going to be tiring. But we have to be resilient because there's a lot of tensions out there. There's a lot of people out there who are doing, okay, I shouldn't use that word doing things that just don't seem to make sense to, to us, right? They're making decisions with their lives, and they're doing things, and we have to still love them, and we have to be an example to them. 
going all in is really what I consider to be a follower. I mean, it really is. If we go all in every day, and some days, it's literally almost every minute of the day, we have to go all in. I think about that in terms of some of the Christians I've had in my, my past that helped me become a Christian. Some of them I knew before I was a believer. And one of the things that always strikes me about them in their lives, and I, same thing, I thought they didn't have any problems. We've all seen live television, right? But how many of us have seen those live TV broadcasts where it's on a three-second or five-second or ten-second delay in case they have to bleep something out, right? That's kind of what I've seen in these Christians as well. That's how they live their life. I strive to get to that point. I really do. Unfortunately, as we, I said, I'm a sinner and I'm broken. Sometimes things will be said or done, and instead of stopping and thinking about Christ, instead of stopping and praying about it, what do I do? Knee-jerk reaction, boom, mouth goes. I'm sure none of you have that problem. It's just me. Yeah, but yeah, these are the tensions we live in. We have to, it's just a constant struggle. There's also another saying that I hear a lot in Christian circles that, oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. Really? Look through scripture. Tell me where that's at in the Bible. I can't find it. But I've come to believe over time that there is truth to that statement. Now, I think God will give me more than I can handle. But just like when it comes to sin, Scripture tells us that when you are tempted, you're not tempted any more than anybody else, and God gives you a way out. When we have these issues and these struggles that are more than we can handle, as I said earlier, part of the implications here, and it's not even implication, it's just an outright fact. We are family. Now, if I want to try to be usual old Mike and fix everything, the God complex, I've got this, I can do this, it's going to be more than I can handle. When I allow myself to be open and vulnerable to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and I share some of my difficulties, and I have you praying with me and helping in some ways that you can, and vice versa, if there's, you know, when you have problems, if you are open and vulnerable too, and other Christians are helping you out, that's where we make it through. So the statement that God will never give you more than you can handle is true because he's giving you issues that you can't handle on your own, but he has given you a network, a huge family of people who can come by your side and can help you get through this. Unfortunately, what I've seen a lot in a lot of churches is we have pride and egos and we don't want to open up and share our problems. We, maybe it's because we don't, it's not necessarily we don't want to share, maybe it's because we just don't want to admit that we can't handle it. These are a lot of the tensions of what we, lit, we have to deal with. But scripture's pretty clear here. We're followers and we've got family. We just gotta learn to rely on that family and learn how to open up and how to be vulnerable and weak to that. <coughs> so as usual, we do every week. Oh, pardon me. We're gonna close in communion. Let me try to do this without making too much noise with the microphone here. Didn't think that through. So, back at the Last Supper, we're told, and we, 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 we go over this, that Jesus took ordinary items, and honestly, he gave... 
extraordinary, starting to get feedback, extraordinary uh, meaning to them. And I think sometimes it can be lost. It was lost on me anyway um, until a few weeks ago because it's, it's, it's bread and it's wine. But those aren't common items to me. And I was kind of thinking about it, and, and God brought back some good memories to me. And I remember as a child growing up, our dinners. I had kind of the traditional or old-style family, if you will. My dad went to work. My mom was the you know, stay-at-home mom. She cooked every night. We had meat. We had a potato. We had a vegetable. Okay, that was common. But what else was common, and I just kind of just dismissed and didn't think about, was we always had milk to drink and bread and butter. So that's what the re re revelation I got the last couple weeks ago was. Is I think this is bread and wine, but if I think of it, this is, for me, bread and butter and milk, that is how common these elements were in that time period to them, as common as the, the milk and the bread and butter were to me. And Jesus took these things, and he blessed them, and he, he brought extraordinary value to them. So in our time of response, just reflect on what this is. Think about what, what Jesus did for us on that cross. He paved a way for us to have a relationship with God. So, okay, well, false alarm again. So at the last supper, oh, yeah, if you want to go ahead and come up, sorry. <clears throat> I didn't move my stuff yet either, but.